What is up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. This is the Athlete Factors podcast. This is episode 105, I believe. My guest today is Dr. Jonathan Perlman. How are we doing today? Doing great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you for, thank you for coming. Um, we've been able to kind of cross paths quite a few times via run-on and stuff like that. So, um, really excited to have this combo with you. Yes, sir. So. Let's uh, let's dive right in. So tell us a little bit about your background, uh, academics, athletics, personal sure. as personal as you want to go into, and professionally what you're what you're doing now. Yeah. So we'll we'll start off by right. I am a uh, doctor of chiropractic, Karen Richardson, uh, a Gonstead doctor by trade, which we'll get into. So there's a very long story, which I'll give you maybe the, the medium version of this for your podcast and for your audience today, of how I decided that I was going to be a chiropractor uh, and my athletic background and everything. And the thing that, that like sticks out for me the most is, you know, growing up, I was this very, uh, how should we call it, very, very religious, like very orthodox, observant Jewish kid in Providence, Rhode Island. Mm. from a family that you went to temple every morning once you turned 13 and you put the tefillin around your arm and you were in temple on Friday night and Saturday. So that didn't mm. leave any room for my passion, which was football. Mm. So it was all about football. I wanted to no be... No Friday night lights. Yeah, no Friday night lights. That did not exist. <laughs> uh, I was in you know junior high and I wanted to play football and I was very fortunate that I guess I was good enough at complaining at a young age that my dad let me play in the Pop Warner Leagues and I would walk to the field, I believe, that was local enough, uh, on Saturdays. And by the time I had gotten to high school, uh, you know, circumstances in the family, and my dad actually died young, and I was young, I was 15 at the time, wow. 15 and a half, and sort of broke that barrier of me not being able to play sports, and you know, my mother was like, what am I gonna do? Mm-hmm. And I was like, my outlet. Mm-hmm. So football was everything. Yeah. I ended up uh, going to a small college uh, called Nichols College in Dudley, Massachusetts, where I played, uh, and I was a very petite linebacker. But because I didn't get the play that I uh, felt I deserved, I started rebelling and thinking, you know, school's not for me. And I, you know, wandered on off into the abyss to uh, phase out of football and to not do anything athletic for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that resurfaced in about 2009 or 10 when a chiropractor in Rhode Island, Doug Cubellis, who I've called out many times on my channel, uh, pretty much saved my life, uh, rid of back pain, if you will. I mean, I was so ridden with back pain, and that's just a whole other story in itself. And when I started getting more energy, I was able to start working out again, I started running again, and I always make the joke that, like, you know, you're probably a runner. I run, but I'm not a runner. <laughs> I'm not a runner. Uh, but, but that was sort of how I found my passion for exercise again which then took me down the road of CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Uh, by about 2012, I was a very serious CrossFit athlete, and like there was no doubt that I had the ability to do, especially the body weight stuff and uh, the muscle-ups and wall balls and uh, handstand push-ups and things. Like I was, I was very efficient, very good, mm-hmm. and I basically broke my body, uh, destroyed it over the course of a year, mm-hmm. led me back down the road to see just how amazing this chiropractor was at putting me back together. And uh, really, I mean, at that point, I started to go back to school. I wanted to be a trainer. I went for exercise science. I was going to either be a physical therapist or a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. And it was chiropractic that inevitably, time and time again, would show me 
especially like the independence that we kind of have as portal of entry providers. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that you don't need a you know referral or a recommendation, whatever you want to say. Yep. And uh, that's where uh, chiropractic. I mean, it just shut. I'll tell more stories without just rambling on for the first forty minutes. But how I really got into chiropractic. But yeah, man, football was a thing, and then CrossFit, and uh, you know, I just found myself and said, you know, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to help people. And uh, now I still do some of my running from time to time. <laughs> That's how we met. That's right. That's awesome. So, yeah, football and CrossFit, those are both very, very, like, highly damaging. Lots of either impact or, um, like, you got to apply a lot of force and absorb a lot of force in both of those. And yeah. so, yeah, that's that makes sense to me that, you know, you're, you're going to be drawn towards something that is a lot more uh, the opposite of those things, like the <laughs> like the the healing side of you know of kind of what we do in the industry of of X phys or or written, not just X phys but the human body in general. So mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty cool. So talk to us a little bit about um, about your practice now. So my my practice now is like I mentioned, this Gonstead system, or the Gonstead method of chiropractic. And I mean, it's really boutique. Like I see here in this office, which is very impressive, everybody, if you haven't been to this office, this is one awesome space, high ceilings, uh, state-of-the-art workout equipment, and what you need to get you know, somebody who knows what they're doing to get you in shape, to, to heal you of your, of your uh, what we call those injuries. Yeah. So, imbalances, we should say. Imbalances works. So, my office is similar. It's like, you know, we've got um, my office manager now, SA. Uh, we've got a changing room in there, which is also an icing room, which it doubles as. Because we treat a lot of acute patients. Mm -hmm. That's sort of where Gonstead, um, I guess you could say, is known to kind of be what I refer to as the gold standard of chiropractic. Mm -hmm. And that's not to take away from any other person practicing chiropractic. It's just the thorough analysis the um, x-ray analysis that this, this guy, this guy, Clarence Gonstead, who started it, this is back in the 20s now, 1920s, and he developed this system that really took specificity to like a whole new level in chiropractic. Mm -hmm. And that is what I was drawn to, and that's how we practice at my office. So even if someone's not in acute pain and it's more of a wellness case, or if it's more of like a vertigo or a migraine case, as we're working on a ton of that now, you know, everyone knows about the term like COVID long hauler, mm -hmm. but there's certainly the inflammatory component of it and the sinusitis component of people wearing masks for so long that are sensitive to these cotton fabrics, hands touching, bacteria getting trapped, yep. and they're coming in with a ton of vertigo, a ton of migraines, and uh, on top of, you know, uh, helping out with lumbar disc patients and cervical disc patients and the radiculopathy cases. Uh, we work on that pretty much all day and every day, and it's very rewarding. Yeah. Awesome. So, I uh, I listen to quite a bit of of Joe Rogan. Uh, like, I'm in the car a lot, or if I've got downtime, I'm listening to you know Joe Rogan or tons of other podcasts. But mm -hmm. he loves to crap on chiropractic medicine. So. Yeah. And his go-to is always like, well, you know, the founder was just making stuff up and was like, claimed that he received this information from a, 
another doctor who was dead, and so he was receiving it from, you know, beyond the grave, and anyway. So that's, that's kind of the, the interesting beginning, let's say, to, to chiropractic medicine, and that was D.D. Palmer. So where did his ideas end, and where does modern chiropractic medicine begin? So I'll do my best to answer this, um, and I, I think I actually have a pretty good handle on it because I kind of practice in that realm mm -hmm. of kind of old-school vitalistic chiropractor, subluxation-based, and subluxation for all the listeners. When you hear chiropractic subluxation or vertebral subluxation or the word subluxation used by a chiropractor, that means a not bone out of place. It just means pressure on a nerve. It means that it's bothering the neurology, right? So it's different than like, you know, hey, I got a tight muscle that I knew I hurt because I did a bicep curl and my tendon kind of, you know, got a spasm or the muscle belly got on a gut tear. Mm -hmm. So that's what a subluxation is, pressure on nerve. Now, Joe Rogan, for all his woes and things that he says about chiropractors, I too listen to many of Joe Rogan podcasts. Yeah. And I can't even say that he's half wrong about a lot of the things he says. But my first podcast that I made right out of school was called uh, not the problem with chiropractors. Mm. Completely uh, purposeful in a response to that podcast where Joe Rogan's saying, you know, the problem with chiropractors and it's all over YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing is, there are people out there making false claims. I don't think that, you know, any D.D. Palmer, B.J. Palmer, vitalistic chiropractor really intends to do that. Mm -hmm. I think that at some point in school you kind of um, get a fork in the road and you have a decision to make. And you're gonna say, well, just how dogmatic am I gonna be about what it is that I do? And how evidence-guided am I gonna be? And we know we've all seen these you know, miracles, if you will, we can't really explain what's going on, and then you kind of meet in the middle. Mm -hmm. And know enough or be humble enough to say, well, I don't know the answer to. So when it comes to D.D. Palmer and B.J. Palmer, that's the father and the son, the, the, the creator, the founder, and the developer of chiropractic, they're really focused on something that's called the big idea. I'm focused on the big idea. It's that chiropractic is not just for neck and back pain, but it's actually treating, we don't treat anything, we care for everything, but through removing nerve interference, the body's able to heal itself. And if, and if the public kind of, I guess you understood that, or if you know Western medicine or Joe Rogan or anyone else just kind of understood that, that we just want to remove the nerve interference and or pressure in that joint, and then the body can optimally heal, that's really where it ends. What's cool is that we both kind of probably do, and I'm gonna finish the rest of that answer, or answer the rest of that question if you have choosing. But what we, we both do, kind of where modern chiropractic or the new age paradigm of chiropractic kind of begin, that crossover, that fork in the road where it begins to go towards Evidence-guided, it means, sure, we're going to use some reciprocal inhibition on a, on a muscle or a joint. Mm -hmm. Sure, we're going to go ahead and muscle test those abductors and then see if something on the adductor side is not firing. Mm -hmm. We're going to rip the psoas. We're going to activate the glutes. If, if someone's not doing that and their person isn't walking around, dare I say, healed, then they're missing something. Mm -hmm. However, I don't have to lie to myself or my patients or, or the public or any of the people that listen to this that, you know, well, we're just going to remove uh, the nerve interference and your body's going to heal itself. Because it does, some of the time, mm -hmm. to quote Reggie Gold, the famous uh, chiropractic uh, medicine practitioner philosopher, it does some of the time, but it doesn't all the time. Mm -hmm. 
And that right there, that some of the time, all the time, is where old school paradigm ends, D.D. Palmer, B.J. Palmer, and new paradigm begins, and we mesh. And if it really was to elaborate, insurance handcuffing chiropractors has really kind of took, taken the new age approach and made us TENS units, ice packs, heat packs, exercise, soft tissue, and it's made it kind of a problem. Yeah, the stuff that you can bill for. The stuff we can bill for, yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't like that, I mean, mm -hmm. but I will say, the big idea of neurological symptoms. Now, somebody, but again, if somebody goes out there and says, well, I'm gonna heal your baby of colic or come to me for 65 visits and your tumors will reduce if you take the supplement, Obviously, that's the word, dare I ever use, and I'm going to use it here just so people know how derogatory it is, but that's quackery. Mm -hmm. That's terrible. Nobody should ever do that. Right. But if somebody came to me and, so, and uh, sought counsel in dietary or lifestyle changes, what vitamins should I or shouldn't I take supplements? Uh, how many adjustments will it take, and will this affect said organ or muscle or gland system? We can have a very honest conversation, and I can say, well, you know what? That thoracic nerve where you're feeling a lot of pressure has the sympathetic ganglia that goes down to the liver. Mm -hmm. Why should I imagine that something that's keeping you biomechanically locked up, maybe uh, where there's pressure in that joint, not be affecting the nerve that goes there? Mm -hmm. And miraculously watch them say, well, I haven't had that little pain in my digestion has been easier. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think that's, that's the really interesting thing because I think, uh, there's a there's a lot of perceived woo, mm -hmm. like because people don't understand right. anatomy. Like when you like, there were two anatomy classes uh, where I went to undergrad. There was the anatomy class, like AMP for the kids who were definitely not going to go into grad school and continue learning. And then there was the AMP class that everyone else took which was in the nursing department. Mm -hmm. And in this class over here, they'd study the skeletal system and the muscular system, and that was basically it. Not a whole lot of nervous system, not a whole lot of digestive system, etc. The, the other systems of the body. So like, if you only study the skeletal system and just the muscular system, you don't know innervation, you're only studying, you know, origin, insertion, and action of the muscles. Then you're not going to understand how a compressed thoracic spine or bad posture could lead to digestive issues because you because you don't know. Like, oh well, the, these nerves actually innervate this area, and they also connect here, or they have effects downstream here. Like, so I think that's probably one of the biggest issues that I think I've seen with certain people being like, like, my chiropractor is so good, because like, he just went pop, 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 and then all of a sudden, I was healed of, of X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, that's, I, I know you think that's what happened, but like, here's actually what happened, and that's why you're feeling better. And I think there's a lot of that that's probably missing. Um, but you know, it's, it's just like. And if, if I may, if I may. Sure. Uh, one of the things I actually almost left out through that whole spiel of mine was the the um, the principle, the rule, like structure dictates function, mm -hmm. and we forget that. Like that gets lost in the abyss of parts because 
someone will say like, oh, that chiropractor, don't go there, that's dangerous, or don't go there, that's not gonna do anything. You're suffering with whatever uh, um, you know, balance issue, you're suffering with whatever digestive issue, frequent urination, uh, um, indigestion, things like that. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, there's something structural, and even if you thought about it from internally, like in the organ, we're not manipulating organs, although some people will say, we absolutely do, we manipulate the viscera. Sure, there's probably a hiatal hernia pull. There's probably a, you know, a stomach, you know, um, you know, quick ninja strike that I'm not aware of. But when we adjust the joints that are sympathetically or parasympathetically bothered, right, no homeostasis at that moment, mm -hmm. that seem to be involved with the dysfunctional organ, it's pretty amazing how often some of these uh, symptoms begin to lighten up and even resolve. Now, is it permanently fixed? I don't know. People got to take medication for the rest of their life as well. But there is an attribute then of, and I think you alluded to it, um, like, like, like just kind of stress, or that's not exactly what happened. Like, there is definitely another component. There's a deeper underlining thing to, to kind of treat in there. Mm -hmm. But again, structure dictates function, and it's got to be, it can't be, I don't think, emphasized enough. Yeah. I think, like, early on, my experience with, with chiropractic medicine was, um, my assumption was all they were focused on, so for those who can't see, I've got a poster over here of the skeletal system, I've got a poster over here of the muscular system so, so that I can point things out to my clients. My idea, ignorantly, was that chiros only focus on this. They don't even know that stuff. So like, if these things are like coming out of place, like just, popping them back into place, obviously, that's not going to stick because you've got all of these muscles which generate force and hold tension and are, and, and are calibrated and controlled primarily by the nervous system. Like, my idea was like, well, duh. Like, obviously, if, if you only focus on this, things aren't going to work. So... For those individuals who have a similar assumption, both of you, how would you educate them? It's interesting. Them? You, really, you really took me to, to a good place right now. I can really <laughs> watch this. This is what we're going to do. In my office, I used to have the same poster of the skeletal system, the muscular system, and the nervous system. Mm. And all three of them are in there. I have smaller posters, and we would have them in the office. Yeah. And then many of you know, us uh, healthcare uh, practitioners or manual therapy, manual therapy practitioners have these. Mm. Well, I threw out the skeletal one, mm. and I kept the muscle and the nervous system one. Mm. Because for me, it's all about the nervous system. Yeah. And I don't tell any, like, I don't, I don't treat the nervous system. I don't treat anything. Mm. But I look for these subluxations, and I adjust with, and now this is where it all makes sense, I respect and acknowledge when we talk about the muscular system, when we talk about the skeletal system, because when I approach a subluxation or I approach an imbalanced body where there's pressure, I look for three things. I look for the rotation, I look for the lateral bending, and in that lateral bending I'm respecting the fascial distortion. I'm respecting the muscle uh, and the fascia on either side of the body, which one is stretched and which one is compressed. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing that I'm looking for, because as I wrap those two in there, right, is the you know uh, swelling or edema, we call it in the Gonstead system. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking for rotation, I see the lateral wedging, and then I'm looking for this edema because Usually, when we go at least from C2 down to the top of the sacrum, some people in various segments of the sacrum, 
they'll have these disks, right? We know we have disks up until L5S1, some even a little lower. And what will happen is when they get stretched, and that stretch component happens, and those fibers begin to tear and aggravate that capsule and create an imbalance or a pressure gradient, right? anyways, with fluid and air, or gas, is a better way to say it, it's going to create some swelling and edema. And almost all the time, that edema is this great indicator of where that, forgive the expression, bone out of place is. And I make my uh, adjustments according to the torque needed to respect the uh, fascial distortion, take the rotation out depending on the vectors, and also try to see that edema reduce. Gotcha. So um, let's go into a little bit deeper the differences between Gonstead and other chiropractic techniques. So, like, what are the major differences? Uh, did you? Uh, let's start there, and then I'll I'll ask a follow-up question. Well, it's, it's a good place to kind of continue to elaborate on my approach, which that approach talking about fascial distortion and just kind of like adding that on to the lateral bending and rotation and the edema, and you know how much flexion or extension does the joint have? That's kind of you know what makes Gonstead's system a little bit different than most chiropractors. The big thing though to take home is that one, we're gonna x-ray all of our patients unless it's clinically irrelevant, as opposed to being why only, or only x-ray if it's clinically relevant. We just wanna have a blueprint and not be the person that's you know, thrusting away on a joint and just kinda of miss something. Yeah. And if we see like a classic example would just be sacralization, uh, lumberization, where they're actually like fused, but you think you're adjusting L5-S1 joint, but it's not. Mm. Another one might be something like where an atlas might be unstable. That, that That's a pretty big deal. So that, and that's not even getting into like, you know what I'm saying? And, and the reason I'm saying it like that is like, that's not even getting into like pathology, like yeah. straight pathology. Yeah. Because if you're thrusting on hypermobile joints, then you're making them more hypermobile, you're bothering those ligaments, you're bothering those tendons, yep. you're starting to piss off the disc fibers, they're gonna have, they're gonna have a hard time. Yeah. Um, and in the Gonset system, not only do we want to be that thorough with the x-ray, and we want to know, uh, you know the side that we're adjusting on, we want to respect which part of the cortex may be actually weak, which part of the cerebellum may be weak. When we talk about brain lesions, and again, you, you know these terms, we're not talking about like cancerous stuff, we're talking about like actual like imbalances people are suffering from. And if they went to a chiropractor who just laid them down, pressed a little bit, and said, oh, that's a little tight right there, and started going both sides of the neck, and started going both sides of the ribcage and started going both sides of the hips. Mm -hmm. What are we doing? Mm -hmm. We're doctors. We're doctors of chiropractic, and we should respect ourselves as such, which kind of alludes me to like that's what the Gonstead thing to me. It's like we're doctors. We stand in that office, we're going over x rays with purpose. Mm -hmm. We're not just pointing the bones to make shit up. And if people believe that, I really, I'm sorry for them that they think that. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of you know uh, science, biomechanics, and neurology that goes into my report of findings and X-rays. So you got to come and get your full spine film so you know uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean it's blueprint done, man. And then we look at the skin-on-skin. Uh, skin. So in other words, men and/or women or everyone will gown. Sometimes a man might say, "Oh, I'll just take my shirt off, doc. Fine." But we're we're checking the spine, or sorry, the quality of the skin again for that edema. But I mean, again, we're doctors. The other day, my mentor in Rockwall, Dr. David Waller, great, great, great practitioner, um, been doing it for over 20 years. He sees that someone has something that looks like a melanoma. Same one that killed Bob Marley, right, on the toe. But he had it on his shoulder. He goes to the dermatologist, sure enough, malignant melanoma, wow. and he caught it. Why? Because he's doing skin-on-skin -skin chiropractic. Mm -hmm. 
And then like also without getting like further braggadocious or, braggadocious, or maybe a chiropractor listens to this and gets offended, and guys, it's not what I'm doing here. Uh, I mean, I always in school was, was stuck on what they call the Gonstead seated cervical, and you might have seen on my Instagram, you know, that I do all these like seated chair adjustments. Mm -hmm. We try to be, you know, super, super specific and really only affect that disc level we're working on or upper cervical. And the thing I was able to do from an early age, I, I didn't even like consider this, was when somebody in a wheelchair came in and they were like, hey doc, you know, like I need an adjustment. And it was like, well, I'm bound to this wheelchair and my neck's killing me. Well, man, was that convenient that I could actually move that joint and give him the pressure re release and relief there uh, from him just sitting in a chair rather than saying, well, I didn't practice enough Gonstead when I was in school. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Wow. Yeah, there's all these reasons why I love doing Godstead compared to you know going to the joint down the street for you know thirty nine dollar crack. Oh man, so <laughs> whoops. No, that's that was perfect because that allows me to segue into uh, when I was in college, um, I I injured my back. I went from being fourth in the nation in steeplechase my sophomore year to then hurting my back really bad, doing, it wasn't, like, I wasn't messing around, I was cleaning up after a meet, and picked up a set of bleachers, and I was fine, and picked up another set, and I was fine, like, they're small, and I'd lift them up, and somebody would slide a dolly underneath, um, last set, last set of bleachers, I didn't know how to lift weights at this point, like, I wasn't, I wasn't doing any strength training, and so I'm sure it looked hideous, and I just went, huh? And I saw stars, and I was like, oh, no, this isn't good. And then about five minutes later, like, I, could, I couldn't walk. I was like, ah, this is awful. This hurts really bad. And the school athletic trainers, like, you know, they did their best. But they were, in my opinion, trying to treat the, the symptom and not the dysfunction. And wasn't really getting any better, and my mom was like, well, there's a chiropractor in town, see, let's see what he can do, and he would, I'd show up and, like, lay on the table and pop, snap, and I'd be like, oh, that feels different, and then half an hour later, I'd be like, it feels exactly the same as it did before, it might even feel worse now. Like, I don't know, but... Oh, Kevin, you had the... The opposite uh, of a chiropractic miracle. I had no At the time idea. you needed it the most. <laughs> yeah. And what's crazy is, like, the next, basically the next two years were really, really depressing from an athletic standpoint. Like, I wasn't like, oh, my life is over. Like, I was fine. In fact, that's why I do what I do now. Like, that put me in the... The mental state where I was like, okay, I'm not going to allow any of my athletes to have the same experience that I did. So I need to understand better than anyone else who's dealing with these athletes how to how to <laughs> train them so that they don't get injured, how to maintain uh, like nutrition and how to coach them on nutrition, how to do sport performance so that they're getting better, how like. So I, I was trying to be everything. I was trying to cover every single circle that overlapped with, with running. And uh, 
yeah, that's that's essentially why I do what I do now. But um, you know, three things stick out to me. Okay, go I ahead. One is you got hurt when you were fatigued at the last set of picking up these bleachers, wobbling all over the place. Oh, that's the way I envisioned it. I just picture a young Kevin picking his like thing um, and wobbling everywhere. You got your arms out, stretched, bending, <laughs> rotating. I so, probably. I mean, they were like three levels of seats, maybe four, and so it was literally all I had to do was pick it up like four inches off the ground, and somebody would slide a dolly underneath, and then I'd go around to the other side, do the same thing, and it was just like, I was probably just hunched over, just, oh, I can't imagine, I'm sure it was ugly though. The other thing that sticks out is that you went to a chiropractor, it popped, snapped, clicked, but you felt, not only did you not feel better, but you felt worse. Yeah. Which again, highlights why I do Gonstead work and why I hope that people really thoroughly, even if they're not doing Gonstead, they've got to be more specific. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that I see, and I learned this very early on because I was practicing Gonstead, because people were coming to me because of the YouTube channel, because they were uh, coming to me because they were acute, locked back, life ruined, my disc blew out, I have pain going down to my toe, mm -hmm. and I learned that you've got to know which discs, or excuse me, I say discs, but which segments not to adjust. Mm -hmm. And if someone maybe missed the fact that you might have had like a lower sacral segment kind of blow out, but they couldn't get that low, or maybe your thoracolumbar junction just all of a sudden, boom, snap, lock down those QL muscles, yeah. and that was actually the issue, and your lumbar is actually sustained well, but they didn't have the right table or the right technique to actually treat you. Um, that's just how specific chiropractic needs to be. And uh, again, if there was a third thing that stuck out past the form and fatigue, I already forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Yeah, I think basically what happened was I said, my back hurts. I heard it lifting some stuff. And he was like, all right, well, let's start uh, popping your back. And yeah, it was, like I said, it, it was like two years that I was Oh, not great. Okay, that was my question. What did, what inevitably helped you the most while your back was not great to actually becoming great, or is it still just not great? No, it's fantastic. Now. <laughs> okay, uh, but it it was studying posture, specifically uh, Yonda's upper cross and lower cross syndrome, and figuring out uh, I'm stuck in this excessive anterior pelvic tilt, and as soon as I released my hip flexors, stretched them out, turned on my glutes, retrained my diaphragm because I didn't know how to breathe. Like, man, I remember one time standing in my kitchen and just trying to, uh, uh, the technique is called like breathing behind the shield, like where you, you're, you're bracing, right? So you're squeezing your glutes, squeezing your abs, and then forcing your diaphragm to push against your abdominal wall. And I felt, it, they weren't like pops, it, but it felt like all of a sudden something was different. And I was like, oh my goodness, I need to continue doing this. And then, you know, here we are. 12 plus years later, and like I'm running now the way I wish I was able to train my senior year of college. Okay. So like... But it, it took me a long time to figure that out because I had to, um, it's funny how, you know, like, in general, chiros tend to have, like, their set of blinders. Physical therapists have their set of blinders. Yeah. Kinesiologists, set of blinders. Orthos. Like, everybody has the, 
like access to the same signs, the same. We're looking at the same bodies, but we all kind of have like this is the technique or this is the way it should be done. And like the nice thing is, is we can have these conversations and we're using the same language. Like we've got the same terminology, we've got the same words that that we both understand, which is really nice. But there's oftentimes like. Oh, you're a Cairo? Oh, okay. I'm just gonna talk to my people over here and and we're we're on this team and you're you're that team and you don't know what you're doing because we solve these problems using this technique and and even if you do solve the same problem, you're using a different technique and ours is better. Like so there tends to be so much of that. So what ended up helping me was learning techniques from different professions and figuring out like, okay, so this is what's supposed to work for me based off what I've learned as an ex exercise physiology student. But like if I use this physical therapy assessment, I can figure out what's wrong. And then if I, you know, like I've read a lot of massage therapy, tech, like technique books or, or soft tissue work, um, and so I'm like, oh, okay, well, if I, full, if I get this muscle to relax, then I can then incorporate this sport performance technique and this exercise and this stretch, and mm -hmm. I'm correcting things. Like, you can manipulate the nervous system in real time. That's amazing. So that's, long story short, kind of, I had to figure out these steps along the way, and then coming here to Dallas, working with my mentor, Ambrose Coleman, like, he basically was like, dude, here's how you do it. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Well, why didn't they teach me this? Like, <laughs> but it's amazing it's, what they don't teach you in school. Yeah, but it's partly because he was put in a, in a position where he was overseeing a clinic that was half physical therapy, half chiropractic. And he was able to like, like oh, you know what? I'm going to use this one from this side to, to fix this client or fix this patient. And then like, oh, that's not working? Okay. I'm gonna now I'm gonna use this one from over here, and he's like, instead of those blinders, he's like, mm, no blinders. I'm just gonna use all of this, <coughs> and whatever works, I'm gonna stick with that, and I'm gonna continue to use that. Well, and, it's, and it's, I'm happy you said that too, because one of the proudest moments of my very young career <laughs> as a healthcare practitioner was realizing that I'm not gonna be able to save everyone. I'm not going to be able to fix everyone, and certainly, as you know uh, very well, um, my technique specifically like that, that I do might not even be effective for that person at that time. Mm -hmm. And I think, like you were saying, those chiros, they don't know what they're doing, they can fix everything, <laughs> and like, you know, the orthopedic guy, well, if injections and the steroid round, and then surgery, surgery. surgery you know, yep. Yep. Or, you know, we're going to muscle test and we're going to turn that baby on and you're going to be right as rain. Yeah. Once we kind of get stuck on that and we're not thinking, and we don't accept that there's going to be the ones that we can't treat with our technique, mm -hmm. we're in a bad place. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's limitations to, to every quote-unquote profession. And, like... This is this is always always a tough one for me because I I tend to struggle a little bit with pride. Like, man, I can fix anybody. No, I can't. But like, 
I'll, I'll always let you know if I'm like, you know what? We're not making progress. It's time to outsource to somebody else. You got to go see my guy Ambrose. He'll tell you whether you need surgery or not. Or he'll tell you like, mm, you know what? It's time for you to go see this person. Or like, got to have that network where you can be like, I I feel I won't I won't be able to sleep at night if I just keep taking your money and and we're not making any change here. Like, and I think that builds so much trust. Like, I get referrals from people. That I've said, hey, I can't take care of this. You got to go see this guy. And then that person's like, wow, I really appreciate that. I'm going to tell everyone about you. And I'm like, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't do anything. I didn't even fix you. Like, but it's it's one of those things. So, um, so part of what I do, not part, almost exclusively, what I do is work with athletes. So when when it comes to what you do, how much of 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 your practice is specifically geared towards athletes and when is it appropriate for an athlete to to come see you so i mean it's kind of funny right the obvious you know answer for me right like any chiro is going to be like you know anybody any age can come see me and if they have an ache or a pain or an ailment they should come see me they should get their nervous system checked because their spine, right? It's, it's like where it all begins, like through the brain and spinal cord is where it begins. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, I mean, I, you know, off the top of my head, there's a few volleyball players, a few runners, a few, um, you know, yogis that, that do come to the uh, clinic often to get adjusted. They feel a lot better. Mm -hmm. And then along with their uh, stretching routine or their core stabilization or their weight training, they go back to doing what, they're, what they do. But recently, I referred a runner, like a real runner to you, who had bilateral proximal hamstring tendonitis. The reason that I would say that I wouldn't treat somebody, and this is where I'm going with this, is who I wouldn't treat, because I'll treat anyone, and I'm going to do what I do, remove that nervous interference, mm -hmm. and give them good advice. But who I don't treat is somebody that I think has something going for them that's so um, important that they are reluctant to even receive an adjustment. Like, is this gonna? Is this gonna mess me up? Is, it, is, it, is there a chance I get sore from this? I can't have my I can't have my steps. I can't have my my reaching. If I'm going bow hunting, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna say, you know something? If you're that reluctant, if and if there's a chance that you leave here and something else kind of subluxates, we, we call it subluxation patterns in my office. And, and I mean, my mentor in Rhode Island talks about this patterns, and I see this all the time. And I can most uh, definitely say that I can given enough adjustments, and for me it's like six or eight adjustments, over the course of like watching a pattern develop, it's amazing the results of what we will get. People will really feel a lot better. But man, those first two adjustments, whew, I'm sore where I never felt it before. Mm. So like I was saying, I mean, I might not work with that person. And if I've got a, a parent for, of an athlete that they're that reluctant, I'm gonna say I'm not the guy for you. If there's an athlete who, you know, got someone you know, on his way to the Boston Marathon, I'm not pushing on that spine. Yeah. You know, he's not in back pain. I'm not aggravating at his fiber. Yeah. He needs his tendonitis. He needs his glutes working. He needs whatever else he needs. Yeah. You know, but uh, because, yeah, like if an athlete came to me, but because, you know, really what I do in my office really well, really efficient, other than the acute pain. And that's the thing. Someone might see me one time to get out of acute pain and then work with somebody like you to, you know, activate, put you to activation. Uh, where I'm going with this is, 
uh, radiculopathy in those referral patients. Like if they have any referral pattern that's clearly through ortho and neuro, uh, neurologic examination, could say, well, there's a radicular pain from this nerve. There's a radicular pain from this nerve, and it's coming from your back or neck. I mean, that's me all day. So if there's a kid out there that got a stinger, I know uh, maybe a head-on collision type of thing, and thank God, you know, he's doing okay, but he's got something here. I mean, that that person needs to get in my office. Gotcha. Yeah, that's one of the things that that you keep mentioning is my mentor here, my mentor there. Yeah. Like, dude, I love that. Like, I think most people like you have your own practice. I have my own practice. Yeah. I don't have a boss, but like, I'm not done learning. And there's tons of times where I'm like scratching my head because I'm like, I have to like tell this person. Like, I don't have an answer for this specific problem right now, but, like, I'm going to find it. And if I can't, then I know somebody who can. Like, being in a place where you can call somebody, like, hey, man, what do I do? What would you do in this instance? Here's all the variables, you know. What would you do? Like, having having access to that, I think, is really important. And, uh, yeah, I just, that... Like, I feel like I talk about Ambrose all the time, and like, almost all my clients have seen him either here, like he's come here, or they've gone up to his place up in Farmersville, and like, they're still my clients. Like, they come back to me, and he's, that's the other thing, man. Like, so many people are afraid to refer out uh, like, other people that I trained with when I was working at, like, Gold's Gym, or... LA Fitness or something like that early on in my career. They didn't want to recommend their clients go to a Cairo exactly or go to a PT or like, no, 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 I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. We'll train around that knee pain today. We won't address it. Uh, we'll, we'll just do upper body today because they were afraid as soon as they send their client away, they wouldn't come back. Man, your client's going to love feeling pain free and then they're going to come back to you if you do your job if you're good at what you do so um yeah i just uh, went on a little bit of a tangent there but um and you know the best the best teachers are students for life mm. um, i'm sure abe lincoln said that or something but i mean it's it's a fact mm -hmm. and uh, i you know i'll tell you recently and this is the problem <laughs> some chiropractors in, in in our in our profession it sort of pays to be high volume and the problem is is as i've gotten busier Great, it's awesome. You know, it's a little easier to pay bills. Fine. You know, got a new puppy. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, it'll take away a little bit of that extra time you used to have to kind of study and, and look forward to being able to learn something every day. Mm -hmm. And it really puts that little extra pressure. It's like, hey, you know, doc, stay on it, right? It's like, Yoni, stay on it. Uh, study every day. Learn a little something every week, whatever. Because yeah. we want it. We, we want to constantly be evolving, constantly learning. You got to schedule that time. Yeah. It's like, it's for me, it's the same with training. Like if I wait till the end of the day to run or to lift, it's probably not gonna happen. Like I've got to, I've got to cut out time in the day to study and to work out and to like to to continue to continue to sharpen my trade, sharpen my skill set. Um, yeah, that's it's nice when you've got a, a full schedule, but like you can get burned out and feel bland, like just feel. Dull. Like, all right. Apparently now I'm an assembly line worker. Next, <laughs> next. Like, let's go. Roll them through. Like, yeah. That, 
The money's nice, though. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I always, I always uh, say this to my wife. In the words of Al Pacino from Carlito's Way, I always say, never me. So, I mean, I stay present time conscious. I mean, my whole focus when I'm in front, just like you, I'm sure. It's like, that's my patient. Like, I'm going to take care of you, you know? Um, what's interesting is, though, I, I don't run as much. I may have said that I was going to train the puppy when I get home. Still get home, you know, sometimes 7, sometimes 7.45, but I might not train the puppy. <laughs> that, that's where the burnout happens. Because yeah, I, yeah. I made that commitment very early on. And this isn't a disclaimer for the listeners. This is just, this is real talk. And this is where I actually do have, this is where my pride shines through. And now I just, I just want to say it because we're going down that road. It's like trimester one of chiropractic school, this doctor named Gene Giggleman is a vet. And he's also a uh, animal chiropractor. And I think somehow they merged that. Mm -hmm. And he's, the guy was amazing, like a wizard. I mean, he knew the anatomy, trains anatomy, grades, grades, and you name it, uh, uh, guiding physiology like the back of his hand. Mm -hmm. He's a genius. Um, he said, for those of you who don't realize what you're doing here, you're playing with people's lives. You're people's lives. They're trusting you with their lives. You're mm -hmm. not just cracking bones or whatever. He said, if you don't want to be, can I cuss on this? Of course. If you don't want to be the doctor, then get the fuck out of the way. And I was like, <laughs> boom. All right. So I, like, I take that with me to the office because it says, if I'm burnt out, if I got things going on, if I'm stressed, if I'm not feeling well, well, I better, if I'm there, if I'm there, it's going to be present time conscious. Because yes, and, and that's the thing, I've never wanted to become, and it never will be an assembly line. The thing will be, how much evolution can I do during my time as, as in a life of being a student to never be able, or sorry, or will I be one day in the position that's going to be like, I'm sorry, I can't even assess you. Like, I can't even assess you, which is fine. But imagine being like at that point where you're like, I, I can't even assess the situation, honestly, I'm not going to know what to do. Uh, it's just not in my wheelhouse. I wasn't able to read up on it enough or something. That's kind of my fear. Yeah, that's a good fear. Yeah. That's, that's like, uh, rewards are like really good motivation, but like also fears are very potent motivation. I think it's good to have both. Like you wanna, uh, you wanna have an idea in your head of like, like what's the ideal? What's, what's quote unquote heaven on earth look like? Like, how do I work towards that? But then also, like, okay, what could hell be like on Earth? I want to get as far away from that as possible. Yeah. And, like, keeping both of those in your mind at the same time, I think, is a, is a really good way to stay sharp, to make sure you're providing the best service for your client. Like, that's it's key. So, all right, let's, let's shift a little bit. So... Tell us a little bit about uh, the keto Cairo. Where, where did that come from? Yeah, what's amazing is that when I first hashtagged it, I was the only one on the internet. Mm. Hashtag the keto Cairo. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got my own hashtag. <laughs> so, and it was like at the time, I mean, look, I'm getting to the end of chiropractic school and I'm just putting on weight. Like, I mean, I if I look at a muffin, I'm the guy that puts on five, six pounds of water weight and my, my glucose goes through the roof. Mm -hmm. like, true story. Um, it, it was getting, um, you know, whatever, bad. And one day I'm just looking at myself, I'm like, boy, I'm getting heavy again. But it wasn't just that. At the same time, I was having that pre-diabetic or diabetic-like uh, symptoms, like mm -hmm. uh, going to the restroom all the time. Mm -hmm. I was actually having blurry vision driving. Wow. And this was like getting scary. Yeah. I'm like, oh boy, I better get a handle on this. So at the time, I had pretty much become educated enough to understand the biochemistry on a, on a solid enough foundational level, if you will, to say, okay, this is how being in ketosis will work. 
This is how I'm going to lose weight. This is how I'll stop holding on to all this insulin in my body. And uh, let's give it a shot. Well, over the course of like three months, my life completely changed. I went from like a very chunky, depressed looking, uh, uh, almost blind, not as an exaggeration, <laughs> 185 pound you know, guy to like 165 pounds running every day, having just boundless amounts of energy. The driving stuff went away. The urination stuff pretty much went away. And when I say pretty much, I'll get to that. And I mean, I was like a changed man, and everything was like, I became an evangelist. Like, keto, 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 it's the greatest thing for human beings in the history of the world. <laughs> now, interestingly, I was smart enough to do it the right way, so yeah. my version of keto looks like tons of greens, tons of nuts and seeds, very little protein, as in like, you know, your three to four ounces, not signaling this whole, you know, mTOR kind of worrisome old yeah. man would have all this gluconeogenesis going on. Right. Although, as a disclaimer, I want to put it out there right now that we should all know that all these things we talk about, making potential or ketones being made, gluconeogenesis, all this stuff, like it's all happening at the same time, yeah. constantly. Right. But I had it like down to it to, to a science. I was measuring my blood ketones from like 0.5 to between one, like all the time. Um, if I needed extra carbs for energy, because again, eventually I was plateauing and I was getting very tired in the morning. Mm -hmm. But I was, I was a little shredded keto evangelist machine. Mm -hmm. And uh, what happened was about six months into it, I began to get really terrible right quadrant pain along with, again, this like, not really frequent urination, but I could never empty. Mm -hmm. And it was becoming like, a, like this increasingly vulnerable new kind of thing, and then I had gotten the, some more blood work done, my creatinine was quite high, my cortisol levels looked like they weren't desirable at the time, and they said, you know, you, you're really dehydrated, you really need to you know, take better care of yourself and then get some electrolytes. Now, of course, some of those doctors were like, oh, keto dangerous. But at the same time, I just kind of turned it more into a paleo diet, and boom, I had it under control. Uh, and I still believe, to this day, people like me, as in, like, I my resting glucose, even when I'm, per se, in shape and not snacking on muffins, is probably about a 93 to a 98. But I can stay stable throughout the day, even having things that are high in glucose. So, because I wore a glucose monitor recently, mm -hmm. you might have seen it on my channel. I did, yeah. And, like, that was a great test. I know what does and doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. and, and even though we're all different, I do want to say as a hard and fast rule, I think that just really refined and processed foods, forget carbs, just refined plot processed foods, I mean, people shouldn't be eating it, period. There's no need for it. The only people that, in my opinion, get the pass are a, a tremendous a distance, I call them, or like a, a elite uh, aerobic training athletes, if you will. That's where I was going with that. Yeah. Because they have to. They have no choice but to replenish the not just glucose stores. Got to get those calories. You know, got to get the calories. Got to get yeah. the electrolytes. It's like you yeah. just have to. Yep. Um, outside of that, though, uh, yeah, I, I now know how to manage my ketogenic diet um, better. Uh, I am still an evangelist so because I, I think that for me, eating like small amounts of protein, good fats from coconuts and avocados, all the ones we know, and I'm sure you've had on your channel a million times, and I talked about it to death on mine, and I still will. You know, that's what people need to do, and I mean, if I could just live that way and not be a glutton for punishment and want to drink beer and have pizza on the weekend and just completely you know, ruin my body, then I'd probably be fine with it. But that was, I mean, I can't, I, what's amazing to me is how long I tried to out-train a bad diet, mm -hmm. how long I just said, like, well, a, a, a burrito is healthy. Like, for who? 
you know, how long yeah, I sat in there. what context? Yeah. yeah. What is healthy? Like, like cheap meals consistently, like, oh, it's no big deal because I went for my run, I earned it. I used to say, like, you know, earn your calories and that. That's out yeah. the window now because, again, earn your calories. I mean, are you going five miles a day, every day, mile pace, you know, sweating up? Forget the sweat, but just some people sweat, some people don't. Are you doing HIIT workouts? I mean, are you really in that training zone where you can justify needing to eat that amount of food? Yeah. That's not the average American. Right. It wasn't me. Yeah, but there's only there's only a few of those. There's only a handful or handful of people who who are genuinely fit in that description. That's yeah, that's one of those things. It's but that's that, that's really like how I became the keto the keto character. And I like uh, it. I I still like I I think it's great. I, I probably eat fat as a really just a majority of my diet. It's pretty bland. It's pretty boring. Yeah, but for me, it's the way that I can feel the best, the most often, and have control over things, rather than you know, I just the cards I was dealt. Whether I did it to myself over time, who knows? But then I had way more GI issues before I ever knew the ketogenic diet was a thing. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I think one of the things that I find really interesting is like I, I'm a sport nutritionist, so I'm always looking at the lens of nutrition. Um, or through nutrition via the lens of sport performance and improving body comp and uh, behavioral change and all of that's like long term. Like this was one of the things when you were talking about, um, you know, the the potential client who's like, hey, is this gonna is this gonna make me sore because I've got this thing coming up? You're looking at things like. Long term, here's how, here's what I want to do for you. And they're thinking short term, like I don't want to be sore, yeah. right? So when I'm looking into dietary modification, it's almost always long term. I don't care what kind of diet. Like I've got clients who I work with who eat vegan. I've got clients who are keto. I've got clients who do paleo. I've got clients who just basically it's it's if it fits your macros, it's just at the end of the day, everything will work if you can maintain it long term. And so when somebody comes to me and they say, Hey, I want to try keto, I'm like, Alright, can you see yourself doing it six months from now? They're like, No, and I'm like, then we're not gonna go down that road. Because that's it's not going to be helpful. You you like carbs, don't you? I'm like, oh, I love carbs. I'm like, let's not set you up for failure. Like, what can you do? Like, being in a calorie deficit is going to be really helpful for you. How we get you into a calorie deficit is less important to me. Um, some people are like, you know, I think I'd like to try keto. And I'm like, all right, are you going to be okay with with no carbs? And they're like, yeah, I think I think I'd be okay. Still want to be doing this six months from now, two years from now, five years from now? Yeah, I think I can do that. Then that's the client that, you know, like, all right, well then let's give it a try and let's prepare for, you know, there's there's going to be trade-offs, right? There's, these are all tools, right? But if this tool doesn't work, then we're not going to stay with it. We're going to, because you're just, there's not going to be success there. Let's figure out what's going to work well for you. Um, yeah, so I tend to look at things nutritionally from that perspective, like I, 
they're all available to me, and but I try not to. I'm a little biased when it comes to like, what's your calorie needs? Then let's set you up on lots of protein, and then I want at least thirty percent of your total calories coming from high quality sources of fat. With whatever's left, let's do carbs. Let's start there. And if something's not working, we'll make adjustments. I've got one client up in Chicago. He's like, I love fat. And I'm like, all right, let's drop the carbohydrates down. Let's ramp those those fat numbers up. And like, he is having tons of success doing things that way. And I've got other people who are like, I've got a guy who he's had uh, testicular cancer. And so... It's a little tricky with him because, like, he doesn't produce testosterone, uh, and he's like, fat, I don't really care about fat, like, none of my hormones work anyway, so it's not like I need this cholesterol backbone, and so I'm like, well, there's, even in that case, like, there's, there's a certain level that I'm like, mm, I'm not willing to go below here because once we get to this point, like, this is beyond my scope of practice as a sport nutritionist, now you need a dietitian. Now you need to, like, we need to outsource that to someone else. And he's like, okay, okay, well, we can keep it there. So, uh, but yeah, as long as, as I can make some long-term behavioral, mod behavioral modification, like, that's, that's what I tend to look for. Sometimes that's with keto, and that's great. I was probably, so I went up to Colorado, uh, like, two weeks ago. I'm pretty sure I was keto almost the entire time I was there. So I was like, basically just eating bacon for breakfast, like, you know, like six or eight pieces of bacon, and then we'd get on the road. And <laughs> <laughs> I was eating a lot of fat. It was pretty awesome. I yeah. enjoyed it. But like, you know. When you were running, did you feel your body in ketosis? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> I did not. But I didn't have that, what do they call it? Uh... Keto flu? No, I didn't have that. What's the uh, uh, ketone breath? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I didn't, didn't have any of that. No, <laughs> let me tell you, people that people that are deep in ketosis. Um, and I had, breath. I had two particular people come to mind, but yeah, it's there. You can, it's a you can thing. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting for sure. So, but no, I I love talking nutrition. I love like being able to get into like. There's just there's so many people who are like their Instagram handle is the keto whatever and I'm like they don't know anything about it. they don't they don't know this stuff like they don't know the biochemistry of what's happening so like I I really appreciate like what you did with the glucose monitor I thought that was super cool where you're just like updating you know a little video every couple days or every day or whatever just. Yeah. Here's my blood sugar. I mean, yada, yada, yada. That, that means so much to me to hear because here's the thing. There's so many people out there suffering and like now this avenue exists. And for me, I'm embarrassed that it took me that long to do that for myself. Mm. Uh, you know, it's time commitment. It's a little bit of money. It's not that bad, but I mean, it's a little bit of money commitment. And one of the things is, uh, what I was going to say is, when it comes to the keto diet or in particular, even I dare I say carnivore, you know, I know like, you know, Paul Saladino and Animal Base now is like a big deal. Mm -hmm. But what I want to say is, I think there are people, it's a small group, it's not, you know, half the population, but it's a small one, where, where we are, like as an ominous, where we're forced to make these really 
drastic dietary choices. That becomes our only sustainable you know, diet and, and habits. It's, it's a little unfortunate because yes, we're so driven to like be these like social creatures that interact with you know alcohol and food and restaurants or not using things that I will tolerate well. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, like people who come to you are like, hey, I'm thinking about doing keto, and you already know this, so we're just kind of like you know beating the, the horse now a little bit. Is uh, if it's not that they're going to be forced into that, they're really going down a road that they they really don't need to be going down because doing something like switching to a ketogenic diet for them for whatever reason they're thinking about doing even if they can lose weight by just being in a caloric deficit they're going to really hurt their metabolism and their GI and everything else they got going on when they try to come back and be like well I tried keto or whatever it's like you're setting yourself up for about a disaster and I'm actually yeah. what would be really cool is if you came on my podcast and we really dove deep into that too just just spitballing Heck yeah. Because it's making it happen. Because that was like a really big thing for me, and I warned people like crazy. I'm like, hey, you saw me at those times, and I was so lean, and I'm posting every day, and I'm like keto, 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 and I'm posting all my shakes and my meals. Yeah. Let me tell you something. If you're not ready for that to be like sustainable life, and like I had to do it. Yeah. I have to. Current day, I, I don't eat the amount of fat that I did, and I don't focus like as much on that now. It's more about maintaining a balance of fatty meat with starchy carbs, mm -hmm. but man, that's the thing that I learned, thank God, early, was like, hey, you know, be careful with that. It's not because the keto diet is dangerous, it's what happens when you try to bounce back on something else. That's it, man, and it's like that with with figure competitors, yeah. like, if you don't, like, they do this step-down calorie deficit, and then as soon as their show is done, they go ham, yeah. like, and that really, really messes up your metabolism. It doesn't matter if you're eating quote unquote clean. Like if you go from a huge calorie deficit to then all of a sudden this huge calorie surplus, it could be the healthiest food in the world. It doesn't matter. Your body's not prepared for that. Mm -hmm. You've upregulated all your hormones that are going to store fat. You've caused so much like localized stress and, and your gut was gonna be inflamed. Like you you just messed everything. So yeah, it doesn't matter if, like, everything works, but you still have to be able to, it works if you maintain it. Like, so, no, I, I think you're exactly right with that. Like, that's why when athletes specifically come, come to me, like, so I follow a lot of, uh, when it comes to ketogenic diet, I read a lot of uh, Dom D'Agostino. I know the name. I've heard him on uh, social media. Yeah, so he, he's doing a ton of research on uh, on ketones, on the ketogenic diet. Um, like he's He was on Joe Rogan with Lane Norton, and they were basically coming at, it was kind of a debate, but they're both legitimate scientists and they're friends. Mm -hmm. And so, like, Dom's like, it, it's super interesting podcast. I highly recommend it, um, just because they're both, like, nobody's trying to pull a fast one on the other. Like, they're very honest about the pros and cons and limitations and trade-offs of, of everything. It's like, well, this will work here and in, in, in this specific case, and here's why, and here's when, when it won't work, all that. And uh, um, I kind of just lost my train of thought. 
anyway. No one's trying to pull a fast one on Rogan. Yeah, <laughs> people try to pull fast ones on him all the time, I think. Uh, maybe they don't know it, but um, where was I going with that? Oh, well, moving on. No. <laughs> oh, so uh, like I like learning from him because he's coming at it from the perspective of uh, he knows a little bit more about the sport performance side of things. And so if you're an elite athlete, like, so in, in ultra running, in triathlon, especially the longer triathlons, half Ironman and full Ironman, there's like a huge surge within the past 10 years to like, uh, oh, you want to be fat adapted. Because then you don't have to worry as much about fueling during the bike and during the run which potentially reduces any sort of gut issues. Like you're not gonna, you're gonna poop your pants in the middle of the run, which is kind of, that's a good thing. You don't wanna do that. So <laughs> like if you ingest a ton of carbs, like, and it's all in gel, like sometimes that flushes everything out and then you're in big trouble. So, um, so there's this huge surge and like, you know what everybody, Everybody should be keto. It's like, yeah, but the best athletes aren't always keto. There's some that aren't. And oftentimes the reason why is because they found it super sustainable to, to their lifestyle. But then there's plenty of other people who are just as fast to eat a ton of carbs and who aren't keto at all. So when an athlete comes to me and says, hey, you know, should I do this? Like that whole six month thing that I usually ask them, like, can you see yourself doing this in six months? It's because there's a lot of research on the performance adaptations to the ketogenic diet that don't show up until you've been consistent on it for that amount of time. Some of these adaptations, performance adaptations, don't show up for years, a year or two. So for those who are interested in doing it, I say, think about that time frame. And for, for those types of athletes, oftentimes they're thinking, a year in advance, two years in advance, you know, I want to compete in Kona in three years from now, or I want to, you know, I want to do this race in, in a year from now. So, like, they're, it's not the average person who's like, oh, I don't even know what I'm going to do next weekend. Like, oftentimes these athletes are planning things out, but if you're in that mindset or, or frame of mind, like, I think, yeah, if you want to do it, and that's the timeline that, that you're going to work towards, sure, go ahead, but, um, yeah, if you're like three months max and then I'm done. I just wanna I just wanna lose a couple pounds and I think keto will help me. Well like you're gonna lose weight really quick if you cut out all the carbs because now you're storing less glycogen and which means you're storing less water and so you're gonna lose weight really quick, but then you haven't lost any fat. So that takes time. That takes a calorie deficit. It doesn't matter what type of diet you're on, you gotta be in a deficit. So um, but yeah, now I'm kind of combining Body comp and sport performance, uh, I'm pretty bad at that. I, I tend to overlap those all the time. So, that's related. I think, I think so. <laughs> so, let's see here. Okay, so this is the question How does the layperson evaluate whether their Cairo or a potential Cairo is a quack? How do they know if they're legit? Like, is there a, a checklist of 
this, this, and this. And the reason I asked that is because one of my first guests I had on was a physical therapist. Mm -hmm. And he and I went to undergrad together. And I was like, Wade, how do you pick a physical therapist? And he said, if the physical therapist doesn't have a barbell and some serious weights, if they only have like some bands and like five pound weights, like get the heck out of there. They're not going to get an athlete back to the point where they need to be mm -hmm. to be cleared. So I've tried to like ask that question to practitioners, like how do you evaluate the quality of another practitioner? So let's assume that this is um, not an athlete, right? So just a person of any kind of person. Mm -hmm. How do they evaluate whether or not they're going to the right chiropractor if they're going to do them wrong? And for me, it's really like the answer really is like it depends. Mm -hmm. And I always actually say this. Actually, now you brought up something that I used to say on my podcast, which was always try to find a like a recommended like through a friend. Mm -hmm. Inevitably, most people go like through a channel through someone they know. Mm -hmm. Referrals and, are super powerful. Like and yeah, and you yeah. hope that the person that is giving the referral is competent in their recommendation. Mm -hmm. And if I then had to go more towards like my bias and my experience, I would say you're gonna have to give the chiropractor that you go to a chance. In other words, like unless they're just off the walls and you're just not feeling comfortable to get out of the office. Mm -hmm. But if they've made you feel comfortable and they kind of explain things, how it's how they're gonna do uh, the adjustments, how the procedure is gonna go down in there, and you feel comfortable about it, you're gonna have to give them a chance. If you like the way the adjustments felt, Probably in a good spot. Mm -hmm. If you feel better getting off the table if you're in pain, which is most likely the case, then you're probably in a good place. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, you know, build a rapport and, and, and see that this person is doing that service for you. Um, that, that's really the best I could say because, you know, when it comes to the whole x-ray thing and the palpation and the this and the knowledge and what posters are on the wall or, you know, a barbell in the office or ice packs versus non, yep. I don't really think that that matters. But what I think that matters is if they're vibing with you and you're vibing with them, and there's a good thing going on, and you give them a chance, and it comes down, and you trust them, and they adjust you, and you feel good, and you get off that table, and you feel better than when you were on it, that should be your chiropractor, you mm -hmm. know? Because there is a huge spectrum of just garbage industry. Yep. I mean, well, that person just touched you, and now you're worse, or hopefully not worse, but at the very least, you know, you're not better. Yeah, no Versus, versus, versus yeah. like, uh, hey, this guy adjusted me, and I felt way different, and I feel much better about it, and I'm gonna tell my friends. Perfect. Awesome. So how can people find you? How can they follow you? How can they reach out to you to either ask questions or yeah. schedule a session? Yeah, so for me, it's all DR Perlman TV. One word all the way across, DR, P-E-A-R-L-M-A-N, TV like television, and they'll find me. Awesome. And uh, we're Paramount Chiropractic and Wellness in Richardson, Texas. And uh, yeah, man, if they follow all those, they'll, they'll be able to find me. Awesome. Well, Dr. Perlman, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I'm glad you were able to come through, and I'm super pumped we got to do it in person. Um, I don't get to do that too much, especially now. So, um, yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the time to do it. And, uh, for sure, dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for having me. For sure. Man. I really appreciate you being here, and I really look forward. I mean, like, literally, like, if not the end of next week, but hopefully the next two weeks, I want you on my podcast. <laughs> awesome. There's Let's so much do more it. deep diving we need to do. Yes, yeah. for sure. All right, y'all, stay tuned for that. I'll let you know uh, when we drop that episode, and uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. Adios.